0: Hello, purse strings listeners. Thank you for listening to WebmasterRadio.fm's most decorated radio series. Discover the purse strings listening experience in a brand new way. Introducing the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, now available for iPhone and Android. Listen to new episodes live every week or download any of the over 200 past episodes or sample from our extensive library of radio shows that every Internet marketer should check out without opening up your purse. Download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in Google Play today.
1: As she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. Webmasterradio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan.
0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, first up today, a little article in the advertising section of the New York dot com around Ford, and I'm always fascinated to see what the auto- automobile industry is doing these days, and you know, Ford and GM have had some major issues, and and Chrysler as well, and they've all been trying to fight through it. Well, now Ford is actually going after the Lincoln brand and trying to breathe some new life into it, so I found this particular article pretty interesting. Apparently, just recently, Ford announced that it is upgrading customer service initiatives along with launching a new brand name for Lincoln, and they're tying it back to, yep, Abraham Lincoln the president for which the brand is named. Well, first, duh, I guess I didn't connect Abraham Lincoln with the Lincoln brand for some reason. And, you know, who's hotter than Abraham Lincoln these days, considering that the movie Lincoln is going gangbusters at the box office? Well, apparently Ford is making some hay with that, and recently just announced the rebranding effort in Manhattan. Um, They're actually going to rename the brand the Lincoln Motor Company, and that's going to be launched with a series of TV spots, of course, and they're going to align it with an image of President Lincoln with the, you know, the teartail hat and the beard and all of that. They're also going to be having a Super Bowl commercial and revamping a website um, that links Consumers to a Lincoln quote unquote concierge who can arrange test drives and set up appointments at dealerships. So, all of that's kind of going down in the coming months. And what's really been happening overall is way back in the 90s, Lincoln really was a top selling luxury brand. But guess what? It's been slipping thanks to BMW and Mercedes and Lexus. And right now, Lincoln ranks eighth in the American luxury segment. Sales are down. And, um, you know, when that happens, you either close shop or or you start uh, resuscitating it. And I guess Ford has decided to start resuscitating it, um, especially considering what GM has done in reviving the Cadillac brand. And, you know, they've been working really hard on Cadillac the last few years and it's starting to really assist with bringing that brand back. So keep your eyes on Lincoln uh, in the coming months to see what really happens with that brand. I think you're going to see some pretty exciting stuff. Well, our purse profile today is the Prada professional. This is a woman who's committed to her career, but trying to achieve some balance, like all of us in her life. She's around 36 years old. Um, most of them have graduated from college or some type of post-secondary. Institution, they're employed 100% of the time, and more than 60% of them are parents, making more than $75,000 a year. Um, you know, they do focus on their relationships; they consider them to be highly valued in their lives. They're confident in their personal style. They love to own quality things, but they consider themselves also very practical purchasers, and they will shop around for the best price. They do spend a lot of their time at work, and therefore, do consider themselves of a workaholic, but when they're not at work, they love spending time with their family at home, and home is very important to who they are. When it comes to what they shop, Calvin Klein and Armani, Neiman Marcus, and Nordstrom are all very big, as is, believe it or not, Target, and they are driving BMWs. Uh, Yep, they are, and Audis. So if you're a marketer, how do you connect with her? Well, she reads a lot of magazines and watches a lot of cable and network TV for entertainment, but she does get her information online for the most part. So she's reading magazines like Real Simple and In Style, Shape, and Vanity Fair. She's watching E! Food Network, TLC, um, and so you can really connect with her in a lot of different ways. But know that home, so home products would be very big with this woman. Well, Joining me today is Jennifer Lawless. She's the Associate Professor, Department of Government at American University. She's a nationally recognized expert on women's involvement in politics, and she's the author of Becoming a Candidate, Political Ambition, and the Decision to Run for Office. She's also the co-author of a book, It Still Takes a Candidate, why women don't run for office, and I'm really excited to have her on the program today to take a look back at the presidential election and what has really been history in the making for women seeking office, but also looking into the critical question of why more women are not running for office. So more from Purse Strings when we return in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to, shopping. Shopping.
1: First strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king.
2: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. radio's virtual autobahn webmasterradio.fm moving at the speed of light webmasterradio.fm we're everywhere
1: her strings is back with the inside track on today's woman here's your host
0: maria retan Well, welcome back to First String. Joining me today is Jennifer Lawless, Associate Professor, Department of Government at American University, and also the Director of Women in Politics Institute there, and I'm really excited to have her on the program. She's been the author of several books, Becoming a Candidate, Political Ambition, and the Decision to Run for Office. Also, It Still Takes a Candidate, Why Women Don't Run for Office. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me.
3: Well, first, I just have to ask you, are you pleased with the election results overall? Well, I think it was a generally good year for women, but I was a little bit disappointed by the fact that we didn't have huge increases, given that it was a redistricting year. But frankly, we just didn't have enough female candidates running to bring about substantial increases.
0: Yes. Well, the lack of female candidates, we're going to get to that in just a minute, but As far as a a voting bloc, though, women clearly had a strong voice this past election, and in fact, I've read more than one report talking about how women really are the ones that chose our president in November. Why do you think candidates continue to treat women as the niche voting segment, considering the power that we have?
3: Well, I would say a couple of things. The first is that while there was a substantial gender gap this election cycle and whereas a majority of women did prefer Barack Obama and can be – given credit for his reelection, this is a dynamic that we've seen since 1980. In every presidential election since 1980 and in all congressional elections since 1986, women have been more likely than men to support the Democratic candidate. Now, that doesn't mean they always support the Democrat in majorities. In 1984, for example, a majority of women and men supported Ronald Reagan over Walter Mondale, but more women than men proportionally supported Mondale. So candidates, whether they're running for the presidency or Congress, or even lower level office, quite frankly, know that they need the women's vote in order to win their elections if they're Democrats, and they need to mitigate the gender gap for Democrats if they're Republicans. So I think the media often consider women a niche or a voting block that can easily be moved, but most candidates are smarter than that, more strategic, and they're well aware of the fact that women comprise the majority of the electorate yeah, you know,
0: that's that's good, and that's that's probably very, very fair. But it seemed to me that, you know, the so-called women's issues came up a bit later in the campaign. I mean, did you feel like issues relevant to women? And, and granted, I want to be clear, all issues are relevant to women, okay? But there are some very specific issues
3: that seem to resonate more with women, but they seem to come a little bit late. What was your take on that? I think that's right, and I'd say a couple of things. The first is that Women tend to decide elections even when traditional women's issues, issues that have a disproportionate impact on women, families, and children, for example, are not at the top of the campaign agenda. So in previous election cycles, we still had a major gender gap, we still had women favoring the Democrat over the Republican, and we weren't talking about issues like abortion or contraception or pay equity. This election cycle, I think what propelled those issues to the forefront had a lot to do with what happened in the Republican primary. We had a bunch of candidates who were competing with each other to run further and further to the right. And in doing so, they actually gave the Democrats ammunition for their war on women rhetoric. And by the time Mitt Romney emerged as the Republican nominee, the Democrats had in place an infrastructure to develop that rhetoric, and the Republicans continued to give them examples of it. So by the time that candidates like Todd Akin or Richard Murdoch, both of whom were running for the U.S. Senate, made comments that flew in the face of public opinion regarding abortion in cases of rape and incest, the Democrats were well aware of the fact that they could take those kinds of comments, bring them to the voters, and exploit that gender gap.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, woo, boy, it was a rocky roller coaster there for a while, for sure. Um, and some, some candidates totally flamed out on that. And I'm curious... You know, you mentioned more women were elected into Congress than we've, than we've seen, but not enough. But it is a new record. Um, what made the difference for those particular women? Was it women voters or was it just um,
3: their time to get elected? I would say that it was that they were running for office. Um, We have known for the last 25 or even 30 years that when women run for office, they fare as well as their male counterparts, both in terms of fundraising receipts and vote totals. Voters have demonstrated time and again that at least on Election Day, there doesn't seem to be any bias against female candidates. If women run, then women are just as likely as men running in similar seats to win. The problem, though, is that women traditionally have not run for office. So when you have a record number of female candidates, chances are you'll also wind up with a record number of female elected officials. I should note, though, that I don't want to suggest that there are no examples of bias ever. I'm just saying that systematically both the voters and the media seem to treat women and men similarly now. Um, Certainly we can all identify examples of bias by both voters and the media, but the differences in terms of treating women poorly and in terms of treating women perhaps with kid gloves tend to come out in the wash and we wind up with pretty gender neutral election outcomes. Oh, that's that's
0: really fascinating. And I think that you know, the fact that if you have women candidates, they're considered viable candidates for the most part. It's just that, to your earlier point, we just have fewer women running. Why, why are fewer women choosing to run?
3: Well, this is the major focus of my research. And over the course of the last 12 years, Richard Fox and I have interviewed thousands and thousands of women and men who are well situated to run for office. So these are women and men who work in the four professions that are most likely to lead to political careers, law, business, education, and political activism. And we asked them, have you ever considered running for office? And then we tried to delve a little bit more deeply into why they have or why they have not. And what we found was that women were substantially less likely than men ever to even have it appear on their radar screen as an option. And the two basic reasons why have to do with their own self-confidence and also political recruitment. In terms of their own self-confidence, women and men who have the exact same objective credentials and qualifications don't assess that way. So if I were to show you the resumes of the thousands of women and men that we surveyed and interviewed, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between men and women. Yet about 60% of men and only 40% of women think that they're qualified to run for office. And women who don't think they're qualified to run for office don't even think about it. In addition to that, Party leaders, elected officials, political activists, and even family members, colleagues, and friends are far more likely to support and encourage men's potential candidacies. And we know that when somebody receives that encouragement, when they receive that suggestion to run, whether they're a man or a woman, they're far more likely to respond favorably to the idea. But men are far more likely than women ever to receive the suggestion in the first place. Is that our
0: own bias uh, when it comes to men and, and women's traditional roles? I mean, I wonder why we're not supporting more women.
3: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the networks from which most candidates tend to emerge. And it's not necessarily the case that there's overt bias on the part of electoral gatekeepers, but it is the case that they tend to recruit from their own networks. And so if you think about the kind of qualities you want in a candidate, ideally you want somebody with previous electoral experience, you want somebody that can raise a lot of money or self-fund a campaign, you want somebody that's well-tapped into the political network and environment that could propel a successful run, Those people still tend to be men. And so when the electoral gatekeepers look around and try to identify candidates, the people at the top of the list are probably the people in their own circles, and those circles remain male-dominated. So it's complicated because clearly that's indirectly hurting women, but I don't think that we're at a point anymore where there are these still smoke-filled rooms where men are trying to figure out how to keep women out of the electoral arena. Right, right. Well, and you said before,
0: if we were to look at the resumes of the men and women who would be viable candidates, you wouldn't know which was a male and which one was a female. But do you feel that women specifically bring characteristics to the role um, that make them highly qualified
3: for our nation's highest offices that maybe men don't? Well, I think there are different types of qualifications. So in terms of objective credentials in terms of degrees, business experience, political connections based on your current employment job, there's no reason to think that women and men are any different from one another. But another set of credentials has to do with whether you have the wherewithal to withstand a campaign. And there we uncovered substantial gender differences. Although a majority of both women and men said that they would be deterred by several of the aspects of a campaign, especially the invasion of privacy that often comes along with it, women were far more likely than men to say that they were deterred or to say that they didn't have thick enough skin to endure it. And the reason this is relevant is because there was also this notion on the part of women that they had to be twice as good to get half as far. And we asked, we tried to delve a little bit more deeply into why that was the case, and what we found was that an overwhelming majority of women perceived gender bias in the electoral environment. So I said that when women run for office, they fare just as well as their male counterparts, and empirically that's true. But potential candidates don't know that that's true, and they certainly don't think that's true. So it may be the case that they think they have to be more qualified than men to do just as well because they're responding to what they think is a biased political environment. And there – it might be the case that women have to have more credentials than men to consider themselves qualified just as a rational response to what they see when they look around.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to pick up on that when we come back from the break. Really, when we look at women in political office and we see the types of women who are getting the press, you know, is that a big red flag for women who might be seeking legitimate office? So uh, more, Jennifer, on that question and your response when First Rings returns after the break.
1: Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Her strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers.
0: Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour.
2: You're already done for the day? I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to That's RADIO two two one six nine one for Moby Mantis. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? TopSEOs.com The independent authority on search vendors You have arrived At the destination for education and entertainment WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere
1: Her Strings is back With the inside track on today's woman Here's your host, Maria Retan.
0: And we're back. Today I've been chatting with Jennifer Lawless, She's a professor at the Department of Government at American University and an author of a number of books, including It Still Takes a Candidate, Why Women Don't Run for Office. And we've been talking today about women being very strong political leaders, having the ability to be elected to our highest offices, and yet there's not enough women who are seeking those positions. And we were just talking, Jennifer, about this notion that women may feel like they need to bring twice the credentials or be doubly better and more qualified to run for office. And I'm curious if it's because do you feel that there is a microscope on women, maybe more than men who are in political office, and that may be because of What the media has done to some what we may call polarizing personalities such as Michelle Bachman who sometimes will say things that put a negative halo maybe over all women's ability to be taken seriously.
3: I think that's a really good point, and there are two different dynamics going on. So the first is the one that you clearly identified, which is that there are some very high-profile female candidates, not only Michelle Bachman, also people like Hillary Clinton or Sarah Palin in 2008, Christine O'Donnell or Sharon Engel in 2010, who because of things that they said or because of the level and stature of the office involved, were treated with a higher degree of scrutiny than any normal person would ever be willing to endure. And I think a lot of people look at those campaigns, look at those candidates, and say, you know what, that is not for me. There is no way that I want to do that to myself, that I want to do that to my family. And a lot of people look at those very, very high-profile races, which quite frankly are anomalies, and they draw their own political ambition and their own lessons from those races that are not microcosms of what it's actually like to run for office. Um, Let me give you the second point here, which is another example. Danny Hayes, who's at George Washington University, and I completed a study of media coverage in the 2010 congressional elections. And the majority of people still get the bulk of their information about their congressional candidates, their House candidates, from local newspapers. So we did a very, very detailed content analysis of nearly 5,000 newspaper articles regarding the candidates running in the weeks leading up to the 2010 elections. And we coded everything in these articles that could potentially be gendered. We coded all of the traits about which the candidates were referred to. We we coded all of the issues um, that they mentioned. We coded mentions of their parental status, their marital status, their backgrounds. And what we found across the board were no gender differences whatsoever. Women and men were equally likely to receive coverage, and they were equally likely to receive the same types of coverage. Moreover, women and men were equally likely to be discussed in terms of their own leadership or their competence and their integrity and empathy. So we didn't uncover any kind of gender stereotyping in that kind of media content. And as a result, voters also did not gender stereotype those candidates. The media exposure they received was ungendered, and so was their own public opinion. So we have this disconnect here where what's happening in general and in most cases would suggest that women and men really can compete on a level playing field. But because of some very high-profile anomalies, women continue to believe that the electoral environment is biased against them.
0: Mm-hmm. That that is truly fascinating because I would think, just as a casual viewer of uh, politics and media coverage, that those anomalies, as you would say, have gotten, in my opinion, an overwhelming amount of press, and it's been and been quite negative. And so, if I were considering a run for office, it would certainly give me cause for pause to consider that. But then again, we just elected women in greater forces than ever into Congress, and so I'm curious what you think the next four years will bring. I mean, do you think that with more women now being in the mix, because that's the other thing, we've had fewer women and fewer comparatives, now we have more comparatives, do you think that women will be watching to see how those women fare, and if they do fare well, that you might actually see more women wanting to get involved in the political process in the coming
3: four or six years? That's certainly possible. The one thing I would caution everyone about, though, is that amidst an era of increased party polarization, where basically whether you're a Democrat or a Republican tells you pretty much all you need to know about a legislator, especially at the federal level, we don't really seem to uncover that many gender differences anymore. Michelle Bachman, for example, votes with the Republicans 100% of the time. She doesn't vote with Democratic women just because she shares some kind of gender identity with them. So I do worry that people's expectations for women in Congress right now might be too high. The women who are in Congress are going to be just as likely as men to act as partisan warriors and to continue to bring their party's agenda forward. So I just hope that people are well aware of that and don't have unrealistic expectations for what these women can do, given that the institution is structured to promote partisanship and not gender identity.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's true. That's absolutely true, because we are totally partisan politics these days. And so, um, as you say, so many do tend to end up voting alongside their their political brethren, if you will. Um, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you the $100 million question. And I know that your book has been out for about a year. It's addressing this, Becoming a Candidate, Political Ambition, and the Decision to Run for Office. Ultimately, What will it take to recruit more women to run for office, and what can we do at the grassroots level to encourage that?
3: Well, I think it all comes down to traditional gender socialization. People who grow up in highly politicized households, who receive encouragement to run for office from their parents and their teachers, who run for student government, are far more likely to think about running later in life and are far more receptive to recruitment messages from traditional gatekeepers like party leaders, elected officials, and political activists. So I think we have to do two things. The first is make sure that this next generation of boys and girls is well aware of the fact that politics is an option and a viable career. We right now think of politics as the complete opposite of a noble profession, but it's where all of the policy decisions get made. So we need to start thinking more positively about it and encouraging young people to get involved the second thing we need to do is when we see women that we think would make excellent candidates we need to encourage them to think about running and ultimately to run even if they're non-traditional candidates even if they've never thought about it themselves because we do know that receiving the suggestion to run from a colleague a friend a family member matters just as much as receiving it from the mayor of your town so it's something that we can all do on a daily basis when we see a woman that we think would make a great candidate let's tell her
0: Jennifer, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for being on today to share this with us, your opinion, and also what we can do actively in our own communities to recruit women that we know would be great candidates and really bring the kind of change we need in the, in the country. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my producer, George, for another great show. And join me right here for another edition of First Strings next Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern time. Until then, make it a great one.